The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. There's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for... Or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? Coming! And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card... Hey, this looks amazing! I'm so glad you made it. And travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. It's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and a broom. A performance-enhancing broom. My name is John Cullen. I'm a comedian, podcaster, and for 20 years, I was a semi-professional curler. And I want to tell you the story about how a single broom almost imploded the 500-year-old sport of curling. We felt like we were bringing a knife to a gunfight. It's the story of a superstar and his fall from grace. Oh, I was being dragged through the mud. It's the story of two brother entrepreneurs with a dream. Yeah, I said, that's great news. It's a story of intrigue. I still don't understand why we want to keep his name secret. The full story has never been told, so I'm going to tell it. Broomgate. How a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word. Broomgate. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com match. Just go to Indeed.com match right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash match. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So, what makes a life a a good one. In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more, but you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. This podcast is powered by SportsDrink, your digital water cooler. Welcome, everybody, to this week's episode of Caught in the Net. I believe episode 16, Sweet Chuck. Uh, this is Dave Severns along with my co-host, Good friend Mike Procopio. Sweet Chuck, how are we doing today? Surprised we survived 16 episodes, Seb, to be honest with you. <laughs> yeah, no doubt, Sweet Chuck. It's, it's been a busy uh, week. was uh, back in Iowa, and we're, we're going to get to that in a minute. But the, what have you been up to the last week, Sweet Chuck? Uh, nothing much. I was in Chicago with you with that Rising Coaches Clinic. Yeah. And then uh, just home, trying to figure some stuff out out here. Uh, we've got, yeah. yeah, just, you know. Yeah, the, the Rising Coaches Clinic, uh, two-day event, probably, what, 40 coaches? About that. And they probably had, like, 10 speakers. Sweet Chuck and I were fortunate enough to speak. Mm-hmm. And uh, from there, Sweet Chuck, I was off to Iowa. Mm-hmm. Uh, about four days of Snow Valley, which we'll get into. Um. So anyway, you and I were talking last week about what to discuss this week, and we talked so much on this show about Snow Valley Basketball School, and it's been an important part of our lives. So we figured uh, we'd just kind of get into the history of that and tell some Snow Valley stories, 
and about the key people who made that thing happen. Yeah, and let's be honest, you had about eight out of our twelve listeners are Snow Valley guys, and they you know guilt right. they guilted you into talking about Snow Valley, and thank God <laughs> you know thank God people thank God you didn't meet a bunch of people wanting you to talk about how to make a nuclear missile or something. God, God, God damn it. So yeah, let's talk. Yeah, we're pretty uh, we're pretty gullible, sweet Chuck. We'll talk just about anything. Sure, sure. Yeah, it's. Um, so we, we wanted to dive into the history of Snow Valley Basketball School. And for our listeners who are not familiar, maybe they're from the East Coast, it's kind of the West Coast equivalent to Five Star Basketball Camp, which I never got to attend. Did you ever go to Five Star, Sweet Jack? I actually tried to work it one year, and Garfinkel answered the phone and was basically like, nah, we got no opening. So, yeah, I've always wanted to work it. You know, it's it's this. Yeah, you're right. That like because all you heard about is it's the best teaching camp in in the country and all that. And I think it was. I mean, it was up there because it had so many good high school coaches that worked it. And then going right. to Snow Valley, you know, it had much better talent than Snow Valley ever had. Although the the coaching, probably the teaching would be better at Snow Valley. Can you know from what everyone tells me as far as who was teaching, what they taught, how they taught it, and the curriculum of the camp. So. I mean, both camps are really up there in the in the ability to teach teach students how to how to play you know play the game. Mm-hmm. So it's pretty cool. Yeah. So anyway, let's let, let's go back a ways to the late 1950s. Uh, Herb Livesey, who is one of our mentors and our close friends, Herb Livesey moved out. I believe he was in Florida or on the East Coast somewhere. I know he went to college in Florida, but he was up in the East Coast maybe the Poconos, and he was a youngster working the Bob Cousy camp. And I, I believe those camps, Sweet Chuck, were not just basketball. They had, like, activities, you know, archery and all that stuff. Well, uh, But Coach coach was a counselor. Yeah, he scammed his way in is what he did. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, basketball coaches were all, were all taken, couldn't put coach basketball, so he said that he was an archery teacher. And he, he wrote right. Bob Cousy, and Cousy signed off on it. I actually had dinner, a pregame dinner with Cousy, like we had it in the media room at a Celtics game, and I actually mm-hmm. asked him about that. He knew who Coach was, but I thought it was hilarious that, you know, that Mr. Integrity <laughs> had, a, had a scam his way into the Bob Cousy basketball camp. Yeah, he scammed his way into his Robin Hood, yeah. teaching those young guys archery, sweet child. Yeah. But he... Also got to observe the basketball, and it was from that experience with Bob Cousy that he got the idea, someday I'm going to run and own my own basketball school. And when he moved to California as a high school coach, um, he, he started Snow Valley Basketball School in 1961. Now, it's called Snow Valley because it originated, and probably the first nine or ten years was run, at the Snow Valley Ski Resort, Sweet Chuck, mm-hmm. in the San Bernardino Mountains. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, from what coaches told me, you know, they had to use the parking lots and mark off basketball courts and bring in hoops. I don't believe they had an indoor gym those first nine years up at Snow Valley Ski Resort. But that was kind of the beginning of it. You know, kids from Southern California would drive up to the San Bernardino Mountains. And no archery, Sweet Chuck. It was just all basketball. I mean, I thought he would probably try to keep the archery thing going considering he scammed his way in, but, you know, probably didn't do that. So, hey, it happens. It, you know, from what Coach tells me about those early days, he and, and a coach named Chuck Walker were the ones that kind of organized and ran that thing. But they had some really good college coaches at the time from Southern California that would come up and instruct. And if I'm not mistaken, like – like John Wooden and who was the old coach? Denny Crum was at Pierce College in L.A. Mm -hmm. at the time. Uh, And obviously a lot of excellent high school coaches. So that's kind of the, that was the genesis of Snow Valley. And then I believe it was 1970 or 71, he moved it to Santa Barbara to Westmont College. Why don't you talk to our listeners, Sweet Chuck, a little bit about the campus and the location of Westmont College. Yeah, it's not a Bible school, but it's a school that you, isn't it like a, 
Is it, it's a real. It is a is a Christian. It's a very school, religious yeah. school, right? Like, so it's up yes. in the mountains yes. of Santa Barbara. I, I think I came in my first year working. It was, I want to say, it was ninety nine, and uh-huh. I, I come up from Boston, had to take a flight to L.A., and then to, and then take a a little puddle jumper from L.A. to Santa Barbara, and um, then I get picked up at the airport, and somebody sort of, you know, drives you up the mountain to Snow Valley, it's probably, what, like a 35-minute drive to the airport? Sure. Yeah, so you go up the mountains, it's beautiful, water, you know, well, when you get there, there's water all over the place. Then when you drive up the mountain, you don't see it anymore. But, like, all mountains, a really beautiful campus, and just basketball courts everywhere. I don't know how many courts he had, 20, 25 indoor you know a couple of indoor courts and then a bunch of outdoor on the you know on the blacktop but beautiful school very you're very quiet and like up the mountain so you know i remember it was a pain in the, yeah. pain in the ass to get there but it's a beautiful school yeah windy road sweet chuck yeah. and actually westmont is in is in a little town called montecito mm-hmm. which is one of the most exclusive expensive places to live in the country I mean, they don't have houses, Sweet Chuck. They have estates. Um, you know, if our listeners are, are in, into all the, uh, where they get the pop culture stuff, that's where Meghan, Markle, and Prince Harry now live. They, they bought an estate there. You know, Oprah's there and, you know, lots of famous people. But right in the middle of Montecito is this little Christian college, Westmont. And uh, that's, that's where they had to camp. And like Sweet Chuck mentioned, just outdoor courts all over the place. One main gym with with two courts, and then obviously plenty of dorm rooms for the for the guys to stay at. So, pretty isolated, you know. Really set up for teaching with very little distractions, and uh, you know that's where Coach kept it from 1971 and until he sold the camp. What probably 15 years ago, Sweet Chuck? Uh, probably. I want to say he probably 15, sold 20? it. I would say he sold it in like '05. I want to say no, like '04, yeah. '05. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe 15, 17 years. Because I worked it two straight um, years, '99 and 2000, mm-hmm. and I think he sold it like right after. I want to say he sold it r- almost right after that. You know, like in that. I think you're right. Because I only worked it two years, and I, he wasn't coming back, so I decided not to come if he wasn't going to run it. You know, just because it was right. it, it was. You know, not going to be the same for me. And he was the one who brought me in. Sure. And, and the thing that made it unique, let's be honest, was Coach Livesey. I mean, he's had some great people helping him run the camp. You know, Chuck Walker was the initial guy. And then for the majority of my time there, it was like Cleet Adelman and uh, Wayne Carlson. You know, Charlie Sands, the legendary Charlie Sands, who we'll talk about later. But really... The thing that made it go was Herb and his attention to the teaching. I mean, it was as serious as a camp as you'd ever run across. And our listeners got to remember, this was way before AAU. Um, And so going to summer basketball camp in the 70s, 80s, 90s was a big deal. Um, So that's, that's kind of where it got its reputation was being a great teaching camp, but also the, the talent level early on in those years was pretty good because there was no AAU and no real high school basketball, you know, tournaments and stuff to speak of. Yeah, I mean, mostly the camps were just like, you know, nationwide camps. Were, yeah, you had good teaching camps for sure, but not one that was that dedicated to teaching from, you know, 6 a.m. Like you start your day at 6 you have drill stations at six o'clock with clinics and you know, they broke those down between position. And then you would have all these, like, instead of just like drill station game, shooting contest game, um, barbecue game, like most camps were like eight games, you know what I'm saying? Swimming. It had literally, you were on the court from 6am to 10pm Obviously, meal breaks and small little breaks here and there, but it was like organized clinics by specific skill set, either you know an offensive, right. a defensive, a team oriented, and then 
and then you would have that one game a day. It, it was brutal. Like, if you weren't used to working, it was a brutal day from, again, it's not really, it's probably not for the club coach that, you know, right. you know that not used to working, or it's, you got to be engaged, you got to be working, and then we could talk about Coach Wibsey all day, like, hide it, you know, <laughs> I remember one of my first, like, like, he didn't trust me the first time I got there, I was an AU coach from Boston, you know, for the BABC, and, like, I met him at Nike All-American Camp, and he thought, oh, you can't be an AU coach out there. I'm like, coach, what are you talking about? Like, AU coach, like, I'm a coach. Like, yeah, I coach this team, but I'm a high school assistant coach. What are you talking about? He was always worried about that. I remember, like, my first practice, I was putting in, like, the 1-4 offense, and we were in that court, like, right next to the dorms. There was that one court right there. And I was there, and he was literally hiding in a bush, like bending over, hiding, and watching what I was teaching and how I was teaching it in practice. And it was nuts. Like, I remember Charlie Sands, I was doing workouts. At the time, I was working out players for, like, Boston College, Northeastern, BU. And I would I was doing these footwork drills. I remember, like, Brian Keefe, who's with Brooklyn now, would be helping me with these workouts. And he was teaching me footwork, like, inside pivots on either foot. And I remember I was doing it, like, before, like, Right after dinner, right before you got back to the, the evening session, I was working out a group of these kids. He took me and chastised the hell out of me for for using two <laughs> pivot feet. I was like, what the fuck? Literally, I thought I was being sent to the fucking electric chair for doing it. And he fucking chastised the hell out of me. And I was like, holy shit. And I remember I was talking to you. And you're like, ah, don't worry about it. This is what they like to do. And then after watching Coach Livesey speak on footwork, that changed my whole life on one pivot, uh, one pivot, permanent pivot foot, and like breaking down Jordan Pippen, um, Latrell right. Sprewell, and now Latrell Sprewell was, was one of his dude. Guys, it was yeah. so, and and I'll shut up in a second. It was just, it was such a like focused, dedicated camp where I would say ninety eight percent. You had a couple of slap dicks that would work every week, but like ninety eight percent of the camp were like Jedi fucking masters at like at just teaching. You know, teaching whatever, and it was fantastic. But you know, yeah, you, you jump in there too, Seb. Like, what what were your thoughts on? Well, no, I that's that's interesting. I didn't know that story about. Co- and believe me, Coach would hide in the bushes, you know, and watch almost everybody. Yeah. And he did that to me. Uh, so don't feel like you're singled out, sweet Chuck. He wanted to make sure that you were able to teach number yeah. one. And. And the reason I got in, let me back up to 1971. So I'm going into my freshman year in high school. And we get this new high school coach at our town. I grew up in a small town. And he was a Snow Valley guy. So he organizes throughout the summer fundraising events. And he had, you know, a bunch of kids that he wanted to take to Snow Valley. Well, I, I wasn't really into basketball. I was more into getting ready for the football season. And, you know, I was playing summer baseball. But my brother, my younger brother, who was about four years younger than me, he was part of this group. And he brought these brochures home. And I saw this thing, Snow Valley Basketball School. And, you know, I, I want to say, Sweet Chuck, it was like $90, mm-hmm. you know, for the, for the week. And I remember looking at the brochure and the featured pro, because Coach would always bring in a pro, was this guy with this long hair and mustache cool-looking hippie dude, Pat Wright, ah. L.A. Lakers. Nice. So he was going to be the guest speaker. So now it's got my interest. But, you know, my, my younger brother goes to the camp. He comes home, he raves about it, how great it was. And so that's the first time I'd ever heard about mm-hmm. it. Uh, fast forward 13 years, 1984, the summer. Um, I, I had just finished my first year as a head varsity coach, and – we were horrible. Mm-hmm. I didn't know what I was doing. We didn't win any games. Uh, I, I was just really kind of distraught. and you know, I was feeling down, sweet mm-hmm. Chuck. The principal at the school that hired me calls me in his office. He says, young fella, you need to go to Snow Valley Basketball School because I'm friends with the owner, Herb Livesey. I'm going to recommend you. Because at that time, it was pretty hard to get mm-hmm. in. You know, He said, I'm going to recommend you. 
And so I got in that summer. I went to Snow Valley Basketball School, and it really opened my eyes to what I didn't know. And from there, 1984, I believe I went 20 straight years wow. uh, to Snow Valley. And uh, so that, that was probably the, you know, the biggest influence of my coaching career was the people that I met. But it all happened because of Coach Livesey. Yeah, I mean, the first time I ever heard of the camp, I was at uh, Jerry Frail's camp, uh, Jerry Frail's house, who was the ex uh, head coach at the University of New Hampshire, had two sons, uh-huh. Greg Frail. Well, I had three sons, but two sons that you know I, I was sort of you know friends with at the time, um, Keith Frail and Greg Frail, and right, and I went to their house and they had a, they had the camp the camp um, the camp picture the photo. I was like, what camp is this? You know, we had the shirts, Nike, whatever, you know, Snow Valley. And I'm right. like, what's this? And they were like, oh, this is Snow Valley basketball camp, talking about like 6 a.m. You know, oh, wow, we were there all day. Jer- you know, Curb Livesey's the owner. This is what they did. I didn't really know anything about him. And it just sort of like went in, in one ear out the other, just talked about it. It was a one-minute one thing. And then fast forward to 1998, I go work Nike camp and – I'm working the high school side. You're working the college side. I had no idea that they that they had the college counselors there. That was my second year working it. First year they didn't have it in 1996. They just had the college counselors at work. Right. Not the prestigious Nike camp. We talked about that before. And you know, so here's Herb Livesey had this um, had this like get together with all the coaches in camp talking about what he did. He was the director of player development of the CBA, which is the you know old school D League and you know, talking about what he was going to do. I'm like, what the hell is this? I remember him passing out that booklet on shooting and footwork and, you know, like all the photocopied pictures of like, um, of like uh, Hersey Hawkins and all these guys shooting the ball. I'm like, who the hell is this guy? And just talking, I'm like, you know, he's fired up. I, he was probably 60 at the time, 57 at the time. And I was like, wow, who's this guy? And, then I would like, so I didn't even know where these sessions were. So like after we were done, like I saw you guys come in the gym, started watching you guys. Um, a friend of mine named Frank Catapano was an agent, sent um, uh, an NBA player agent, had this kid named Bruno Sundov that got drafted by the Dallas Mavericks in the second round, but he was going to bring to prep school. He wasn't going to go to the team the first year. So I'm reading the roster of coaches. I read Rodney Parker's name. Um, no, who's the guy, the USC guy that was with um, Charlie, Charlie Parker. Parker. I apologize. Charlie Parker. So I'm, you, know, you have like a Dallas Mavericks shirt on. And I go, I want to introduce myself, telling you, hey, look, I'm going to be watching this kid play, my friend. So I, I start in this five-minute spiel. You're trying to fucking cut me off. And I'm like, why is this asshole trying to cut me up? <laughs> and you're like, yeah, that's a great story, but I'm, I don't work for the Mavericks. I work for Fresno City College. I'm like, oh, God. So you and I strike up a, a, like a, you know, a conversation, weeds into a little bit of friendship that week. Coach Livesey's on my ass from like minute one. Like, uh, I remember at Nike, they gave out these briefcases, like these old, over-the-shoulder bags that you get at coaching clinics. And I'm like, all right, cool. I'll right. put all my stuff in there, like my – my coaching books and stuff like that, like my notebooks and all that schedule. So I, I'm carrying around this bag and he's giving me shit for it. Like, I don't know why you're carrying around that bag. I don't want you, you're an AU guy, da da da. I'm like, Jesus Christ, this guy's killing me. I'm not even, I'm not even like at his part of camp. I'm on the high school side. And you, you say, I oh, don't worry about it, this coach Livesey. And then you start talking about Snow Valley, about how he runs Snow Valley, what the camp's about. Oh, you gotta go work it. And then like, so you were trying to hook it up and you were trying to talk to him. But like literally, I talked to him after camp. I talked to him about three times that year. And he said, yeah, you could work camp, but you better not bring that, you know, that briefcase. I'm like, coach, <laughs> they give out the fucking briefcase to the – first of all, I would never swear, Coach Rizzi. But I'm like, they give out the briefcase at camp. That's what they give us. I'm just using what they gave us and to carry my stuff. And um, so that's how I sort of – heard about camp coach said yeah, yeah oh, i want yeah. you to work and then i get there and it's just like non-stop oh yeah and then let's 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 go for a little further too i get there i think you and i are gonna hang out a bunch well the portland trailblazers do this like this like training right. camp program where they had all the college counselors at snow valley 
workout up the hill. So I'm I'm fucking working yeah. my ass off twelve hours a day. You're working out like college guys in you know up the hill. I'm like, Jesus, where do I get? Where, where? Yeah, they were they were counselors. Wink, wink. 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 Yeah, and. But that was cool. They had a bunch of guys that would draft picks or, you know, longtime pros yeah. work in the camp. But it was a culture shock to me because all the camps that I've ever worked, yeah, they were hard camps sometimes, but not nothing like that. I mean, the coaches that no. uh, in their knowledge and their dedication to teaching. Oh, it was, it's, and we're, we're, we're going to get into kind of the specifics of how they run it. Um, but first, Sweet Chuck, I want to talk about ColorCast. Jeez, oh, okay. Let's do it. All right. You ready? Yeah, sure. <laughs> the ColorCast app. Hey, it's free from the App Store, and it's, uh, you know, it's like a live audio-only sports, uh, sports talk platform. You know, Sweet Chuck, you can talk to me, other fans, athletes, insiders in real time. It's perfect for your watch parties, debates, post-game breakdowns, you know, all you need to do is create your profile, link it to your Twitter, and then uh, you know you get on there with all your people and, and uh, talk about the games and things like that. Um, Colorcast app from the App Store and always come with your spiciest takes. All right, now let's get into the nuts and bolts of the camp and, and what makes it so special. Sure. And like you said, first of all, this was a camp where you would the coaches would report 4 p.m., on a Sunday afternoon. All right, so that's kind of when you were expected to be there. But the camp started at 5 o'clock. Crazy. And, I mean, it starts with evaluations because at this camp, you draft your team. So you had to pay attention to the uh, evaluation scrimmages. Otherwise, you didn't know who they were, and you'd probably go 0 and 5. So I'd never seen that before where you had to, like, draft your own team. And then after the draft, it starts right away with clinics, right. like two defensive clinics. So by Sunday night at 10 o'clock, you've already had, you know, clinics, the draft, uh, maybe a team practice. And then Monday through Friday, it's 6 a.m. to like 11 o'clock at night nonstop. And, you know, so that's – and, and – all the games ended by late Friday night, and then Saturday morning, you still had the awards, the ceremony, and uh, you know the goodbyes and all that. So the camp literally went from Sunday afternoon at four o'clock till Saturday, probably ten or eleven in the morning. Yeah, I mean, in the clinic part was so good because it was basically like a classroom of a specific thing, yes. like individual defense, and then it, he would literally. Whoever was teaching the clinic would literally start the clinic at the basics of it. And then you'd probably, what, have two sessions with that or three sessions with that? Two, two to three on defense, yeah, and two to three on shooting yeah. and two to three on offense all by the same clinic. And it was 60 to 90 minutes long, if I'm not mistaken, right? Yeah, yeah, hour minimum. Yeah, and here, it's just like... Again, instead of having all these things sprinkled in, it was just all defense. And then it was then all offense. But then there was a, maybe a couple other specific things like using screens sure. or shooting. or So it was like if you had a notebook, I remember bringing a notebook, maybe like 100 page. Now nah, maybe like one of those 70-page deals. And I literally filled the thing up in a week. I mean, there was just so much, yeah. like so many drills and teaching points and things that you want to remember and you, it was literally one of the I mean you spend so much on coaching clinics that you don't get anything out of I mean it it, it was impossible not to get anything out of out of camp and and the clinicians that were speaking were you know NAIA coaches from all over the country college coaches from all over the country high school coaches from all over the country and it was um pro coaches sweet check yeah the second year was some 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 of the best clinicians uh that I remember were like from the NBA guys. I remember Coach Bill Musselman doing the defense mm -hmm. uh, one week. There was a legendary coach that uh, coached the Trailblazers named Dr. Jack Ramsey. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, he did offense one week. Right. Uh, Tim Gergerich. Well, that first time I ever seen Coach Gergerich was like the summer of 84. And here he is out there, you know, doing his slides and run, glide, run, and all closeouts and all this mm -hmm. stuff. And so it was pretty overwhelming. 
Yeah, I mean, I think Mark Ivoroni was out my first year, and then the second year uh-huh. I came was, you know, Jeff Van Gundy, Stan Van Gundy, his dad, Bill Van Gundy. Sure. and But, like, the other coaches, the no-name guys were really good. Like, yeah, okay. they're organized and, you know, like, they were really, really good. And, you know. Yeah, guys like, you know, people. We, we, we talk about Charlie Sands every now and then, and he was a junior college coach forever in California. I believe he's in the Hall of Fame at West L.A. Junior College. Mm-hmm. And he was an excellent uh, shooting coach. Mm-hmm. I remember his shooting clinics were outstanding. But Charlie was kind of known for the warm-up. Mm-hmm. You know, he would take, you know, these 250 kids in a gym, and the warm-up that he did, you know, 30 to 45 minutes were legendary. Mm-hmm. Not not just his energy, but the way he could get those kids, you know, to, to follow his lead and do all the crazy stuff he had them do. It was great for the coaches because it kind of gave us a break, sweet child. Oh, yeah. And you could work on your I was report working cards. On, I was working on my report but, cards and getting rest. Yeah. Yeah. No doubt about but, it. But if you, if you just wanted to stop and watch Coach Sands do the warm-up, I mean, that's worth the price of admission right there. What, what he was great at in – like, A, chastising the hell out of me for using two pivot feet was probably sure. one thing that he, he attributed to my career. And the second was uh, those oiler drills and the, the oh, booklet of drills on group shooting. And a lot I, I took from him, like we all do, and then the things that I could sort of build off of what he had where how you can take 8 to 10 to 12 players at a time and work them out, get shots up, and space it out where it's game situation, they're getting plenty of reps, and no one's really standing around. I mean, it was, to me, it was yeah. game-changing to the way I teach group, you know, group workouts, and, and I'm, I think I'm really good at it, and a lot of it because of the timing and the spacing, and asking Charlie questions about, you know, specific things of, of the oiler drills, which I thought... You know, it was funny. Mark Rabo came and did the Warrior Drills, who was with the Golden State Warriors, and he would do like the Correct. stuff that he would do the Mullen, you know, Chris Mullen, all those guys. Uh, and that's one, one of my favorite memories of, of Snow Valley is Sweet Chuck putting his guys through the Warrior Drills on the outdoor courts, chasing those balls down the hill. When those guys would I miss. was cursing Coach Livesey so bad. Because <laughs> like, the oil, so, so the war, I love the, like, warrior drills are cool. Like, if you were, like, an evaluation workout and you were working on a guy or you just want to get somebody in shape, those drills are fantastic. And conditioning. Yeah, and right. conditioning, they're fantastic. And that's what Coach had in the Nike camp before I even met Mark Raybo. And that's, like, on the court 100 book. That's where, you know, I, I ended right. up buying the book or whatever. But, like, I always thought that Charlie just felt. Um, like uh, Coach Sands were just like felt left out because he, you know, uh, Coach Mark Rabo had the oiler drill, I mean, the warrior drills. He just wanted to come up with another version of his own and call it the, uh, the oiler drills. But um, yeah, now, and so our listeners know oiler because Coach Sands was the coach at West LA Junior College, like I mentioned, yep. and his team was the Oilers. Ah, okay. Now they're called the Oilers because. The campus is in Culver City at the bottom of this kind of hill. Mm-hmm. And there's oil wells up in those hills. Ah. And in the middle of Los Angeles. Yeah. And so his college was called the West LA Oilers. And that's where Oiler Drill came sure. from. Sure. And just that that alone was great. And then watching the yeah. footwork and but like the oil drills was an important part of my development as far as a coach. And, you know, Coach Livesey. And you and I still use those to oh, this yeah. day. And then, or, or, you could, or you could just make up your own based on what, you know, sure. uh, both of those guys, you know, Mark Rabo and Charlie Sands. And, again, it's just so good. It, it was just the teaching and the detail. The Warrior Drills weren't teaching. I don't think Mark taught a lot with them. I thought he, no. yeah, they were really good shoot, you know, shooting drills and getting conditioning and reps and things. But he didn't break it down, stop and teach. Where Charlie Sands right. was more of a teacher of the game, you know. In my yeah, opinion. and so our listeners kind of understand the Warrior Drills were developed. Like he said, Mark Grable was the strength and conditioning coach for the Warriors. This was back in the Mullen, Hardaway, uh, Mitch Richmond days. And he was hired kind of to get Chris Mullen in shape. 
and those are the drills that he he used to to do that. Yeah, I mean, it was, it was unbelievable, and it just like <laughs> as a co as a young coach, it was just important for me to be around that. And um, what right. about your sort of early dealings with it? What what, what what's your deal? Well, my first experience um, that I remember is is Coach Livesey teaching shooting. Mm-hmm. Cause that was kind of his pride and joy and I really didn't know or have any you know specific thoughts about how to teach shooting and after two or three years of listening to coach Livesey and and watching him I kind of developed my ways of teaching shooting after him matter of fact in, in my master's thesis that I wrote on shooting much of it was coach Livesey's teaching uh, even I think dedicated the thesis to coach Livesey um, so that was my first thing. And the second thing was the defensive coaches mm-hmm. that, that I was able to observe early, like Coach Gergerich, you know, Bill Musselman, you know, a lot of great high school coaches that people have probably never heard mm-hmm. of. Um, you know, Mike Dunlap was an early mm-hmm. Snow Valley influence. Was he at Metro State? So at, he was at Metro, but at this time, Sweet Chuck, before Metro, he was at Cal Lutheran University okay. in Thousand Oaks. And that's when I first came across him. I want to say it was 1987. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but to me, those were the biggest thing, the shooting and, you know, the defense. And then, of course, for the first time, watching Cutthroat just kind of blew me away. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. And I took – that was the one thing I took right back to my team uh, the next year was Cutthroat. You want to explain what the, what it is, Seb, or you want to make it? Uh, well, c- yeah, <laughs> cutthroat is four on four, half court. You know, usually with four teams of four, and it's very competitive with, with specific drills, uh, not drills, sweet chug rules mm-hmm. that you have to follow. You know, you got to square up. You know, you got to pass the ball three or four times. You know, you can't over dribble. Uh, you know, and and layer by layer you just add rules onto your four on four and it gets very very competitive um, it's kind of a source of pride to be a cutthroat winner at snow valley you get these special shirts with the knife going through the ball and blood coming out of the ball you know guys were they, they would kind of take more pride in being a cutthroat champion than the team champion mm-hmm. uh, and it's still something that you know they use at snow valley iowa today what are your first thoughts when you saw this crazy cut? It was nuts because, like, you know, it's it was awesome because they wanted to set it up where the person that was playing, quote-unquote, God, they called that person at the time. Um, yes. Where, like, that person was the the judge, the jury, the executioner. Like, he, he, he or she decided any rule in the court, meaning – they called fouls. They had the rules. If the players passed enough, did they square up? Did they call out the passer if they scored? And whoever passed in the ball before they scored, um, all that they set solid screens, all those things. And that person was really there to piss off all the players to make sure it's more competitive. Sure. And I thought it was like, this is fucking nuts. This is crazy. I, and again, it was so good because it forced the players to be able to play and, and to move and to do certain things. And it really had, you know, it had specific teaching involved and, and they wanted it to be competitive, but also teaching and making the players better on and off the ball. I thought it was, I thought it was great. And just like you. Yeah. And one of the things, you know, I talked to coach Sands about it the very first year and he said, and cutthroat, we're trying to create as much chaos as we can because that's what happens in a game. Mm-hmm. You know, parents are yelling, bad refereeing, coaches yelling. Mm-hmm. And uh, he said, you know, we're, we're, we're trying to create the atmosphere for, where we have as much chaos as possible and cutthroat. And I believe, Sweet Chuck, it was a, a drill that was developed by Dick Mata. Okay. Um, you remember Dick Mata, the old coach of the Chicago Bulls? Sure. I believe cutthroat came from him, and he was a teacher way back in the 60s at Snow Valley. So I think he's the one that brought it to Snow Valley. Such a great, I mean, it, it was such a, a big part of camp. And um, yeah. it's one of those things. I mean, those cutthroat championships. Oh, they're, they're, yeah. The whole camp was surrounding the court, and it's just intense as you can imagine. Yeah, and I just think it's it just sort of, 
it goes with the whole it was it goes with the whole i you know ideal of the camp and the idea of the camp is right. teaching competition more on teaching than playing and then you know right. you have this four on four game which again it wasn't a free flowing game it was more of a teaching specific rule and it gets you ready and it gets you tough and if you're not tough not ready to compete it's you know it was good i I just thought it was one of those things that just it really it really centered around cutthroat and the teaching the clinics and cutthroat it was you know it was fantastic it was a great great experience and that was such a great great thing to 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 introduce the camp yeah it was a great way for the to end the camp um other things sweet chuck that, that come to mind is coach Livesey would only let the kids play one game a mm-hmm. day. So you play five games and then, you know, at the end you'd have the championship game, but he looked at the games as a laboratory and they were regulation high school games, eight minute quarters, stop time. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, one of the worst parts of snow Valley is the coaches have to referee. Oh, the worst. I, I remember, I remember coaches just, uh, getting all on my ass, uh, you know, about bad calls and stuff. Mm-hmm. My man Pete Newell, Pete Newell Jr. Mm-hmm. would rarely cross half court. A lot of times he would sit in a chair and referee, sure. uh, which would piss the coaches off. Sure. But the worst part was refereeing. But you had to referee a game every day, and then your team could only play one game. So you're coaching one game yeah. a day. But it was a regulation high school game. Um, you know, they wouldn't let you press early in the week, you know, no zone defense till later in the week. So you could work on the things that you learned in the clinics. Yeah, it was, it was different. I never, at that point I would do 10, 10, 12 weeks of camp a summer. And I never, right. I never experienced a camp that only had one game a day, most of two, if not three. And I, I just never experienced a, an overnight camp where, you know, it it was just all teaching, drill work, and and situational stuff, and then one game. It was um, again just right. one of those things that was really impressive about about the whole camp environment, it, it, which made it so special. And you know, we I, I wish I wish we had a list in front of us, Sweet Chuck, of all the prominent coaches that have come through Snow Valley. You and I both know that they're. They're all throughout the NBA. Yeah. I mean, uh, it's like everywhere we go, we run into, you know, what we call Snow Valley guys, guys who have worked it and experienced it. But, you know, there's Hall of Fame coaches that have, that have worked Snow Valley, um, Hall of Fame players that have come to give. I remember my first year there, Bill Walton came. He was the feature pro, and he brought Greg Lee. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, remember Greg Lee who played with them at UCLA? They were the featured clinicians. I remember Coach brought Chuck Nevitt one oh, year, yeah. 7'4 guy from NC mm-hmm. State. And for some reason, he had him on the outdoor courts doing the pro workout. <laughs> Scotty Brooks, first time I'd ever saw him. Mm-hmm. You know, Byron Scott. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, usually Laker guys would come up, but. That was one of my favorite parts with, with bringing the pro up. And, and Coach Livesey, he didn't want the pro just to, you know, dunk. and sh- he, He'd want the pro to demonstrate and then get the guys on the court to do the drills. And, you know, pro guys weren't used to that stuff. So that was always kind of interesting. <laughs> yeah, I, I remember who did we have up for camp? Um, the kid, either Todd Windeman or the big white kid from Stanford, Young, I think was one of the pros that he had up player-wise, and then he did like a big uh-huh. man workout uh-huh. and stuff. It's just, yeah, I mean, coach, anybody who worked camp, like coach, it was never, like a lot of times, like you're the celebrity coach, you could do whatever, coast, and he, he wouldn't let anybody coast. And, you know, it no, was. It, it didn't no, matter. And, and you could, like you were so nervous all day. It was like. You know, you're oh looking gosh. over your shoulder. It was literally like you're in Vietnam or something. You have, P, you know, PTSD. You were just always <laughs> looking around. I was scared shit, you know, throughout. And then, yeah, hey, Coach. Yeah. You know, Coach Livesey, the first three years I worked camp, I never spoke with yeah. him. I was so intimidated by sure. him. You know, the only time I would say anything was at the end, you know, he'd hand me my check and thanks, Coach, for having me. Right. Finally, after about three years, 
you know, we actually had some conversation. And then I remember the first, I believe it was 1992 or 93, where he made me a clinician, like a lead mm -hmm. clinician. And, uh, you know, you, it was a big deal because you get your picture on the brochure. Sure. You had to. I was I was doing offense, you know, and I was so nervous and just wanted to, you know, spend hours on hours, you know, with the drills to make sure you didn't embarrass yourself and let Coach live. Because the worst thing, the worst feeling is letting Coach live. Oh, the down. worst. You yeah, agree? it's the absolute worst. Yeah. It's the absolute worst. And, you know. Like, and it's funny, sweet Chuck, because I kind of feel that same way today. Yeah. You know, at the age we're at now, you don't you don't want to let Coach live. No, no, not at all. It's just sort of how he is. Like, he's, he's one of those guys. He's like that gruff teacher that you have in class that really cares, teaches you a lot, doesn't give you two inches like all the way like you, you you know if you're off off your game he lets you know about it you know he probably gives you more um corrections than compliments and you know and and if sure. he he goes right at you and he's no nonsense and you know it's just a, i think that it was such an important part of my development of teaching that he was like that i mean you know yeah and coach livesey during during the you know, the 20 some years that I was there, he was, you know, high school coach, assistant coach in college at UC Irvine, mm -hmm. assistant at Arizona State. Uh, you know, then later on, you know, scout for the Nuggets and the Atlanta Hawks. So he had many hats too, but his, his passion and his baby, so to speak, was always Snow Valley basketball. Sure. I mean, it's, it's how he got into the game. I mean, for the most part. So yeah. Of course it would, and, and and he built up something special. Like, it's not like he ran this camp for like five or six years and it was just a good camp, made him a lot of money. Right. I mean, it made him a lot of money, but like he built it up from like from nothing to the prominent teaching camp that really nobody knew about outside of California. You, you really didn't know about it. If you if you're a high school coach or a JUCO coach or a college coach in LA or in California in that area, you knew it. You knew about Snow Valley. You didn't really know in Boston, like I said, if it wasn't for Jerry Frail right. and the Frail kids, I would have never known about it. And then meeting you and him and, and Nike, but like he he felt as though it was a special thing in his life. That I mean, how many people gets to build get to build something that's that elite and that like first class? That's like you know all types of coaches and players knew about it, and it was, sure. it, it was such a it's such a great game. I, I want to think. I know it made it to 50 years because I, you know, I still have the 50th anniversary T-shirt mm -hmm. where Coach Livesey had every coach that had ever worked Snow Valley, he had their name on the back of the T-shirt. Mm -hmm. Now, the print was really sure. small. But it, it's fascinating. I should have brought the shirt so I could talk about some of the people. But so I know it went 50 years. And <clears throat> before he sold it, I might you know, think 54, 55 years, something like that before he mm -hmm. sold it. But uh, the special thing to me, besides Coach Livesey, is just the people that you meet and become lifelong friends with, like yourself. Mm -hmm. But, you know, going way, way back to 1984, the first coach I ever met when I walked in the door is still a, you know, a very close friend, a guy named Marlon Hall, Coach Hall, you know, from Fresno. And, uh, but just the hundreds and hundreds of, we could go on and on about the crazy characters uh, you know, being up at the rock. By the way, we got to talk about the rocks. You know what, Seb? How about this? I've never even seen that fucking rock. Never, not in my uh, life. I, well, in the two years or three years I worked, I think I worked two. I've never seen it. I never, I, I've heard about it. I've heard everybody talk about it. <laughs> I've, I've just never seen well, it. Well, picture that Westmont is built on a yep. hill. And the, hit, the, the college campus with all the buildings descends down. And at the bottom of the hill is the gym. Right and then the football field. But at the top of the campus, uh, there are a couple outdoor courts at the very top of the hill. And there's a giant boulder rock, you know, behind the court. And so that's why we called it the rock. <laughs> and interesting story, uh, the estate just outside the northern border of the Westmont campus was owned by an old gruff guy. And I don't know his name, but he was the Marlboro nice. man. That oh, he's the real, he's really him? the Marlboro Man? The, the, he was the actor that played the Marlboro Man. I love the Marlboro Man, Man. Okay. yeah. Yeah. So 
he would complain all the time to Coach Livesey, and actually I think might have even taken it to the city council about the balls and the whistles and the shouting and yelling at 6 a.m. in the right. morning. <laughs> you know, how can these guys do that? You know, I'm a Marlboro man. I own this prestigious estate here in Montecito. These kids can't be up that early. So I know Coach would, would battle with that guy, you know, about the noise that the kids were. But that's the rock, Sweet Chuck, all the way up at the top, you know. And, yeah. Uh, you know, from then it was, you know, the cafeteria kind of in the middle. But then all the outdoor courts that you mm -hmm. mentioned um, that were named, the coach Livesey later on would name them after, you know, prominent Snow Valley coaches that had passed away, the most, the most prominent being Coach Bob Hamilton mm -hmm. from UC Davis, legendary mm -hmm. coach, Snow Valley mm -hmm. guy. Uh, the character of all characters. I bet. I, I've never, I obviously never met him, but yeah. I've, yeah. That's pretty cool. And But, you know, it's the, the best thing about Snow Valley was all the people that you got to meet, the teaching, you know, the different kinds of teaching. I remember Coach Musselman, when he would do his clinics, he made eye contact with nobody. Mm -hmm. His eyes were always like down on the That's court. That's crazy. You know, never would look at anybody. Um so uh, that's, that's kind of – and then, you know, Coach in the probably mid-2000s decides to sell the camp, mm -hmm. and he sells it to U.S. Sports Camp. And, you know, at that time, maybe even a little before, if I'm not mistaken, you know, C Coach Don Showalter buys the rights and the naming rights and starts Snow Valley, Iowa, mm -hmm. which I believe I was there last week. 27 years? Something like that? That – uh, I think that's what he mentioned, 27 years oh, wow. in Iowa. Okay. And then it, and I found out last week that it's since branched off, and now there's a Snow Valley, Missouri. Huh. Interesting. <laughs> there even was a Snow Valley, Hawaii. Hmm. Sweet Chuck. Yeah, and I, I remember Coach Lindsey showed me a picture, and I still have the picture because I copied mm -hmm. it. I want to say it was in the 70s, early 80s, Snow Valley, Hawaii, was it uh, in Hilo? Hmm. And there was a camp picture, and a, a young coach Livesey in the camp picture. But in the camp photo was a young player from Punahou High School named Barry Obama. Hmm. There you go. <laughs> Barack Obama. He was Barry, you know, in high school. Little lefty guard, they said. Kind of unselfish, really didn't pass the ball mm -hmm. much. <laughs> So those are the different, you know, places that Snow Valley has branched off to. Yeah, he sold it in 01, it says. Oh one, 01, okay, yeah. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, ever since then, you know, it's really, really gone strong in Iowa under the direction of Coach Showalter and Coach Slykehouse, rest in peace. And now, you know, Coach Slaubach, Coach Spielbauer, Coach Kern. How was, um, um, did you get a chance to see, um, you get a chance to see the guys last week? Obviously, how how is Showalter doing? Yes. Coach Showalter doing? Well, he he's doing great. The camp is so popular, Sweet mm -hmm. Chuck. Uh, you know, they sell out quickly every year. Four sessions. Mm -hmm. Coach Show wasn't there last week. He happened to be oh, no uh, shit. in Italy doing some FIBA stuff. Yeah, I'll yeah. tell you what he was in Italy doing: fucking stocking up on some carbohydrates. I don't want to hear that FIBA <laughs> shit. And and if you show, you know he's having a yeah, steak. Yeah, no doubt. I haven't. But Snow Valley's still going strong, Sweet Chuck. Uh, the teaching's as good as ever. Mm -hmm. um, but our, our memories are mainly with the Snow Valley and Santa Barbara. Sure. Um, and and we, could, we could probably spend four or five hours just telling Snow Valley story. Somebody someday has to write a book. Um, yeah. You know, just all, all the stories and the things that went on at Snow Valley. And trust me. There's a lot of extracurricular activities going on at Snow Valley, D down the hill in Montecito and into Santa Barbara, Sweet Chuck. I bet. I remember you and I would go to we'd grab something to eat at that seafood place down on the water. Yeah, Brophy, Brophy Brothers. Brothers. But we would also mm -hmm. go um, to watch uh, uh, the Jordan camp, the, the console games at Jordan yeah. camp. So I, yeah, we would go down there. and uh, A lot of late nights, you know, getting in at 2 o'clock. And, you know, having to be up on the, on the court at six. I remember one year my roommate was Pat Knight, and who's become a really close friend, but really good coach. 
came to Snow Valley and, you know, he, let me just put it this way. He could survive on four hours of sleep every night. <laughs> yeah, that's crazy. Um, oh, man, the, the, the Snow Valley days. Yeah, so. it was cool. I mean, the teaching, the teaching was fantastic. I mean, some of the guys you hear yeah. about, like Judd Heathcote and Pat Riley and, you know, Gerg and... Wooden. Shit, who else? Uh, yeah. Pete Carrill and um, yeah, Rick Majerus. I mean, just so many mm-hmm. coaches. I mean... Like I said, it rivals rivals any coach. I mean, any camp. Jack Ramsey, like you said, um, Pete Newell, right. Don Meyer, like any co- any. Don Meyer, legendary Snow Valley. Yeah, coach. it's fantastic. I mean, just you know, you'll never get a camp like that again and get that no. high level teaching. Look, I mean, Snow Valley, Iowa is fantastic as far as the coaches and the people and you know Schlabla and all those guys like that make camp you know, Kern without question. It's just that amount of high Tate. level Tate's lock, that amount of high level coaches in one camp at one time in one week, those Hall of Fame type coaches, you're just never gonna get a camp like that again. But um obviously it lives on in Iowa and a little bit in Missouri, but like, you know, it's just it, it's just fantastic. Just you know the herb deal was great. This yeah. coach, you know, the, oh, yeah, the herb alert, you know, the herb the alert deal was awesome. Herb yeah. alert, you know, if, if listeners don't know, if if if, if the, one of the coaches saw Coach Livesey coming, it would be a herb alert, and you know that would be passed on from one coach to the next. You know, to like shape up. Coach Livesey's going to be in the bushes watching. Yeah, so who, make sure you're the, on. The guy point. who told me about that was Mike Moeller. I remember. Uh, yeah, oh, it was fantastic. I mean, Mike. You want to tell your Mike sure. Moeller story? Well, first of all, the first time, the first time, uh, first time I met Mike, legendary Snow yeah, Valley. First coach. time I met Mike is, uh, I w- he was re- um, he was refing my game, and you came. It was like ten o'clock at night. He was refing my game, and you come up and you go, "Hey, you know that's Mike Moeller." He goes, "You know," he goes, um, and then he was talking about he didn't have a great experience in the CBA working with Eric Musselman. So, you know, we were telling right. those stories. I'm like, oh, really? I got to meet this guy. So we talked for like 20 minutes after. He has this playbook of a CBA, uh, Eric Musselman's playbook for the Fort Myers team, which, you know, if Eric... The Beach yeah, Dogs. The Beach Dogs. And, you know, he'll probably sue Mike for having that playbook and giving it to somebody else. But, you know, <laughs> I remember having that and he was giving it to me. And that first night, like... I'm tired as hell, and everybody's walking up the hill to you know to go to the dorm, and I'm like, Mike, where you heading? And, you know, he's like, I think he was talking to some coaches. He's like, you coming? I'm like, coming where? We're going to bed, right? And he was like, nah. He goes like, we're all coming up to like my room. We're gonna watch film. I'm like, watch film? What are you talking about? And he had this VCR um, attached to a TV, and he put it in his room. And all these coaches, it's had to be about 15 coaches. And Mike was running the VCR and rewind, fast forward, slow mo, and just talking about Michael Jordan's footwork and the way he broke it down. I never was into footwork like that, and the way he broke it down to that point and how he taught it and how he slowed it down and the teaching points and the consistency. That's when I fell in love with watching film and, and stopping things and rewinding and teaching and always talking to Mike from that moment on about MJ and. Kobe and Iverson and you know Mark Aguirre, Bird, Bernard King, like he had a bunch of these guys on film. It was, yeah. I mean, again, it's just another way that Snow Valley changed my life as far as how I teach. Right, I, and you always talk about the huge influence that Mike Moeller. See, Mike Moeller is a guy that our listeners have no idea who yeah. he is. He's one of the best teachers that we've. I've never around. seen a guy bet like I, I. There was there. I can't name five other guys that are better teaching the game than he. Is. He's he's like one of those like geniuses that like like in the woods like you see him living in a log cabin or something yeah. like, you know. He, he's not a guy that self promotes. <laughs> he's not a guy. He always tries to help. Not at all. Always tries to help. If he has a notebook or he has a, if he has like a, a film or a book or a teaching or notes, he'll send them to you. And I remember flying him to Boston once to do a clinic and um, staying at my house and just like, Mike's the best. Like we, 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 we try to connect once a year. And um, there, was a fam- there was a famous story 
that he told me about him sleeping in late by accident. He slept in late, and he's oh. supposed to do like a 6 a.m. clinic. And here comes her bashing the door in, and he goes, Moeller, you're on the floor, Moeller. You're on the floor. <laughs> so about three times a year, either he'll text me or I'll text him, Moeller, you're on the floor. Moeller, you're on the floor. Yeah. Oh, my God. And I could just yeah. I could just picture that. Like, you wake up in a, yeah. like, you think, like, you think your country's being invaded, for God's sakes, and this guy's shaking you to get you up. And just screaming oh. at you, you're on the floor. Oh, God. Yeah, there's nothing worse than, you know, you oversleep at Snow Valley and Coach Livesey's bursting through your door, you know, reminding you where you're supposed to be. I mean, ah, there's no worse feeling than that. Sweet I child. remember in 01, I think it was my last year, it was my third year. I, did, I think I did work three years. And it was my last year working, and he sold the camp. And I remember the last mm-hmm. day I, like, dozed off either like in a lecture or whatever and it was like i woke myself up it wasn't like two minutes whatever i woke myself up i'm like you know what i gotta i can't be working camp anymore because i fell asleep and i hadn't like i knew that herb wasn't gonna be trying to catch me so like once that's over with that's it i gotta i gotta i gotta go and i never worked again after that but he he scared that he scared the bejesus out of you Hey, one of the interesting things, you know, most camps at the end, you know, they'll give trophies to the championship team or the MVP or whatever. So championship team, and there was three divisions. There's Central, which is the little guys, Eastern, which is like JV, and then Western, which is varsity. So there'd be three championship teams at the end of the week. And on Saturday morning, you know, Coach Lizzie would dress up for the awards almost like a professor. You know, he's going to give the awards at the graduation sure. ceremony. So instead of trophies and stuff, the big thing at Snow Valley was the championship team, each player would get a pin. You know, it's a little, little pin, probably cost 50 cents. But, you know, to coach, it, it was so important because he would give a lecture, you know, that this pin represents the ability to think and to write. And it's the most powerful thing sure. in the world, the ability to think and to write clearly. And, you know, there was a lot of truth in what he was saying. And I'll never forget, I, I did, I think I won a championship one time. And he gave out those pins. And, and those players and myself, they, you know, they held those pins in such high regard, you know, instead of a trophy or whatever. Just, so, yeah, Snow Valley, the pins. It's just different. Show. And I remember the coaching clinic he did every, every year in the middle of camp, like the second yeah. day or third day. Yeah, Tuesday, yeah. lunch, coaches yeah. clinic. He would have all these coaches come. And he would speak. cater this really nice lunch. Yeah. <laughs> and in typical Coach Lizzie fashion, if the guy giving the clinic was like two minutes over, coaches start, he'd like start stalking in the Rub background. It. And finally he'd say, ah, that's it. Back, you're on rubbing the court. His head. Clinic yeah, starting. rubbing his head. Oh, you're rubbing his yeah. head. <laughs> if the guy went two minutes ah, over, dude, he, Coach Lizzie would lose it. it. It didn't matter who it was. was. And I remember one time, I remember one time we had to go down to Jordan camp and pick up Luke Walton. I don't know if you were with me or not, but coach, we drove down and picked up Luke Walton to speak either at the luncheon or spoke to the kids, or maybe he was one of the pros. Luke was a player. Luke was playing at Arizona. He was a college counselor at Jordan camp. And uh, I remember picking him up. Yeah, it was, man, it's uh, different, man. It was, it was great. It was great. Yeah, it's... Anyway, Sweet Chuck, we, we've done an hour on Snow Valley. We could easily do two or three hours more. Yeah, what's not, because... Uh, any, any final thoughts? No, nah, I think we put people to sleep enough talking about Snow Valley, but nah, like, the teaching yeah. part, though, like, and that's... I think if I'd never worked Snow Valley, I don't think I would have been the teacher that I am, and... I think that it, it's not a coaching camp, it's a teaching camp. And I think that that right. was a big difference. Like, you just don't come in and, and draw up all these tricky plays. It's like, you know, how to execute, how to build things, how to, you know, it's literally like, you can probably just do a teaching school and Coach Wizzy could have been like your, like uh, the head of your math department or science department or whatever, English department. and like build a teacher from ground up and that's how you would run a teaching camp. And I, I just think that 
there is a big difference between coaching and teaching. And like, yeah, you could coach all you want, but if you can't teach and just, I think that, yeah, I know the camps thing, the camp thing is dead and it's going to continue to die off. But these are the things that I think fundamentally that help coaches and players the best is having an environment where you stress fundamentals, you stress teaching, and you stress this brotherhood of coaches that just are there together. They know it's going to be a 15-hour day, and they just keep on like they, you know, they rile everybody up and together and and, and bring everybody together into this unbelievable basketball experience. So it's cool. It was, yeah, it was a cool deal for sure. And it's something that you and I will continue to to do and be a part of is, you know, as long as our schedule permits. Yeah. You know, we still, like I said, I just got back from Iowa a couple of days ago. And you and I, I'm sure, will be back out there in Iowa working Snow Valley and going to Dairy Queen at night. Oh. And having a and, great and, time. And, like, <laughs> and it's funny, Sev, because, like, the camp thing, people always ask, like, where should I send my kids to camp? There's not, it's because it's so hard to find a camp these days. And the first thing that right. I always say is Don Showalter, Snow Valley, Dave Shablaw, Snow Valley. Yep. Like, you know, you gotta, um, you you gotta go there because it's the best teaching environment that I know. Like, you know, all these teaching camps are dying by the wayside, and these guys are going strong. Their their enrollments, you know, breaking records every oh, year. Sold out. Yeah, breaking records every year, yeah. and it's great. Those guys do an unbelievable job teaching. And it's a great environment. It's, yes, it's different from Snow Valley, California, but it's still an unbelievable teaching experience for your kids to learn shooting, defense, on the ball, off the ball, you know, play good competition. And if you're a coach, you know, and you're especially a young coach, if you're a young coach needing to learn. Yeah, it's the best coaching clinic yeah, ever. You bring a notebook, you fill that thing up. They got that coaching clinic at night, the last night of the camp. Yeah. I mean, yeah, you can't. If, you want, if you're a young coach and you want to learn how to coach and how to teach, you go to Snow Valley Basketball. Without question. Without question. Hey, listen, Sweet Chuck, today's episodes of Caught in the Net is brought to you by Sports Drink, your digital water cooler. It's a newly created internet community that tries to find the intersection of sports and not sports. Go to sportsdrink.org and type in Sports Drink, no vowels, Sweet Mm -hmm. Chuck. And all we ask is you close the door behind you. We're trying not to let the funk out. Also, Cotton and Net brought to you by Athletic Greens. Still waiting for my free swamp, uh, free sample, yeah. sweet Chuck. What about you? Yeah, how, why not? I mean, you know, we've been we've been pushing this stuff long enough. We got nine subscribers to it. I mean, you know, we're obviously making yeah. Thousands. Hey, Ryan Russillo, you know, his show is sponsored by Athletic Greens. I bet you he's getting them. He's getting a lot of green. I don't know if they're Athletic Greens. I'm sure it's, <laughs> I'm sure it's fucking cash. He's getting a lot more green than we are, Without sweet question. Chuck. Without question. <laughs> All right, my friend. Well, that uh, that wraps it up for us. And, and, and until next week, you've been caught in the net.